So it's kind of one of those weekends, isn't it? It's kind of just got a good vibe. You guys having a good time this weekend? Do you feel relaxed at all? Do you feel like, I don't know what, the pool's open, I've heard? You know, a lot of our folks I know were saying they're going camping like we said earlier. We're the ones that didn't, <laughs> you know. Um, you guys have some plans over the next couple of days, maybe? Go do some stuff? You know, we were talking about, um, about it before service today. And um, there's something about, about being among, the, among believers in Jesus Christ uh, that is a great blessing. And um, on, as we start this morning, just kind of sharing uh, from the Word, uh, this week, you know, we're in this middle of the series, we're in week six of a seven-week series, um, and yet, I, hey, you've got mail or something. Um, that uh, I hope you never take a vacation from God, you know? I'm not talking about being here, by all means. I mean, I've talked to people this week and said, oh, we're, we're, we're going camping. Well, that's okay. Go camping. But I hope that when we do those things, when we go out into the, the highways and byways of life, when we, when we go out to the campgrounds, we're out of the lake, or that we find some way to, to spend some time uh, in sanctuary, being present before the Lord. You, you can do this like we've done it as a family, just our family sometimes. Just the, just the five of us. We'll just get together and, and spend a little time. But mostly what we do is, is we find a house of worship nearby. And, and, and we usually have a conversation about what that looks like. Um, what are we going to, you want to try something different? You want to try something the same? You know? And I would hope that whenever we're traveling and we're not here, and you're all like, well, we're here. Yeah, okay. But there's times that you're not here, right? That, that we would find a place to go and worship. Because the truth of the matter is, and it's what we're going to talk about today, this thing we're part of is bigger than Family Bible Church. I hope that the relationship you're in with Jesus Christ is bigger than this church, than this local body of believers. I hope that you have a conviction to be holistic in your following after Jesus, that it's not a show for your friends back home. That maybe even if it's good when you're here, you don't go, oh, I don't have to go to any, anywhere. I hope that you long to be in his presence again. You will be amazed. And if you've done it, you're going to be like, yep, that's right. And if you've not, you're going to be like, I don't know if I want to do that. You're going to be amazed at how if you will allow God into those places of your life, like vacation, how he will just line things up for you when you're there. People to meet, experiences to have, and you'll be blown away. And we begin to realize, which is what we've been talking about these last six weeks, that God is bigger. He's got a great big story and we're just caught up in it. It's not something that I did to deserve it. not something you did to deserve it. We're just caught up in this great big story of God. And when we go out, and, and you can go to the farthest corners of the earth, and if you seek out believers in Jesus Christ, and you go with a heart to worship, we've been talking about that as well lately, a heart to worship, you will be blown away by God's presence to you in that situation, by his ministry to you in that situation, and by how much he does always encourage us, not just when we're here. So I'm glad you're here today. I'm glad I'm here today. But I can tell you if I wasn't here today, I'd be somewhere else today worshiping God. And I hope that's your testimony too. I really do hope that's the case with you as well. So we're talking about this seven-week series um, on this big story of God, this huge story of God. And if you wonder why you always do this, because that's how we see God's story. I always see this kind of this beginning point and this huge arc and this ending point. Now, there'll be some faiths in the world that will say it's more like this, you know, like, like wash, rinse, repeat on the bottle, and you just keep doing that, and eventually it's clean. I don't know how that works. 
the Christian narrative is, it starts here, and it goes like this, and it ends here. And so we're in like week six. We're like about that far along in the journey with God through this series. And, and we've talked about a few things in the first five weeks. And I just want to remember them. And I know you're probably, if you've been here every week, you're going, come on again. But you know, do you know what they are yet? Do you know what they are? The first one is that God is. That God proclaims, I am that I am. He, he proclaims it every day in your life. And if you are sitting here this morning, you're saying, I just don't know if God exists. Listen. And don't listen to me. Listen to God. He's screaming, I exist. I hope you can hear that. I hope that's the first step in the journey towards um, accepting Jesus, is to know that God is. And then the second is that God made, God made everything. So it's, it's God is, and then God made. And those two things happened before humans ever existed. Those are the two steps that, that happened before we got here. We didn't have anything to do with it. We just showed up, and the stuff was done. <laughs> we were like, that's really cool. Matter of fact, it says in the Bible that Adam got to name the animals. How cool is that? He didn't make them. He got to name them. Makes sense, right? So when you wish a dog was a cat or a cat was a dog, that's all Adam's fault. You can blame him for that. And then after this creation was made and God said it was very good, he made us and said it was very good, very good. He really loved all of his creation and then we disobeyed him. And that's the we did part of the journey. Early on, we disobeyed. And, and you know, we, you can get hung up on original sin and how is it that I inherited Abraham, Adam's sin and everything else. And yet, um, clearly, we have enough sin of our own without Adam having anything to do with it. You know, there's something in us that's broken and flawed that we continually make wrong choices and, uh, and we need God's grace to help us with that. So then we talked about what God says and then God does. His covenant and liberation for his people. How he saved the Israelites. And then how God came last week. And that to me is the pinnacle of the story. You know, if you're ever, you know, we're talking about bike camp come up. I mean, it, there, there's that point where you're humping up the hill and you're going and going and going. The high point, the top of the hill, the moment you get to start to just go, woo! down the backside, and if you've done it, it's a lot of fun, isn't it? It's Jesus. Like, he's up there. He did all that work for you, and when you're there with Jesus, you just kind of go down the hill, and there's wind at your back. It's a beautiful thing, and you get caught up in the rest of the story, the rest of the story of the incarnate God, the God who came to live among us, to die on the cross for my sins, for your sins, for the sins of the entire world, the whole world. He died for everyone. And so that's where we are in the journey. So this week is this, this thing that we are part of now, Family Bible, right? Are you part of it? Are you part of this new thing that God did after Jesus? This new thing that happened after Jesus? Do you know what it is? After Jesus? Huh? What was it? Do you remember? He, he sent, uh, I'm going to see if I get this thing. He sent, he sent um, this Holy Spirit, right? He sent his Holy Spirit to dwell among us. Let me push one more time. I may not have it. And in that moment, there was this new thing started called church, <laughs> right? It's called church. I mean, I have a clicker up here, so you may have to push me. This is going to be awkward, but we'll go. All right. So, so and the, the Greek word for church is ekklesia. And we're going to get in that for a, in a minute, in a minute. And it won't be a big, long Greek thing, but I just want you to know what it says because it's important. But, it's, um, but there's this new thing that, that Jesus does amongst his people called church. Right? And so that's what we're going to talk about this week is, is what it means. So I have a question for you. There's a little interactive time on the front side here. If, uh, if, when I say that word, what do you think of? When I say church, what do you think of? Huh? 
Sundays. Before God, people and God. Okay? Anyone else? Church. It's a word we all hear all the time. Huh? I can't hear this morning. Call the oh, see? <laughs> Lance. <laughs> That's good. It is. Ecclesia. It means called out. Any, anything else that, that we think of when we hear the word church? Because honestly, I don't think many of us think of called out, though. Like even, I don't think of called out. Do you? Is that the first thing you think in your mind? The called out ones. Not usually. Some, some people think, some people have bad, like, experiences. And they, they, they think pain or, I don't know, you know what I mean? They think, ouch. You know, the, the, the most common, although I'm not really sure it's genuine, I, the more I experience conversations with people and, and, and talk to people about their faith journey, uh, they always say hypocrite in there somewhere. For, for those who are not, do not believe in Jesus, they say church equals hypocrite, but it's simply not true. And, and, and okay, there are some people maybe it's true for, but it's simply not really the issue. The issue really is an hypocrisy when people come to the church. What else? So Sunday mornings, right? Do you guys talk about this? What did you guys get up this morning to do? What did you get up this morning to do? You what? I'm going to go to church, right? You, you, you came to church this morning. Did you come to church this morning? Some of you guys are just like, I am, you're in vacation mode. And that's okay. That's okay. Did you come to church this morning? Is that what you did? You got up this morning, you like brush your teeth and you put on your deodorant. I'm going to church. You know, you get the family here. If you got kids here, that's a big deal. You got to get them all riled up and get going. We're going to church. Get in the car. We're going to church, right? And then if you're like us, we got a dog now. The dog wants to go to church. The dog can't go to church. The dog's like going to the house. The kids got to go to church. And, and all this stuff. And you're doing all this madness because why? We're going to church. We're going to church, right? So that's usually what we think of when we think of church. Lots of different things. People, people often, uh, um, I, I, I'll say this one more thing before we pray and get into the word. We often ridicule the church. Now I'll say the people outside the church ridicule the church. You know, they can go, church equals crazy. Church equals hypocrite. Church equals, you know, money grubbers. I, what is it? Church equals, I mean, there's a, a plethora of reasons that the world will give people not to come to Jesus. Right? And if church is one of them, great. So they'll hold up there. Don't go to church. You know? Keeps you from Jesus. If you don't come to church. So, so there's this thing where we're criticized. And yet, the truth is, we kind of have a tendency to criticize the church ourselves, don't we? We're, we're pretty hard on the church inside the church, aren't we? We're quite gifted at self-destruction inside the church. And not a lot of thought goes into the things we say sometimes. So we're going to talk about that this morning. Let's pray as we open the word together. Father God, we give you praise and glory this day because we're here with you today, that you've called us here today, called us together today. And for whatever reason we've come and for, for whatever circumstances brought us in, Lord, I pray in this time and space, we will give you sanctuary, that you will give us sanctuary, that we'll have this time with you, this space with you, and everything that's been going on, we can lay it at your feet. And uh, Lord, if we have troubled hearts and we don't even know you yet, I pray that you would spur us on to lay these things down and just listen this morning with an open mind and open ears and an open heart for change. We love you and thank you. We all come today to hear your voice, to know your touch, to receive your healing, to be sent out into your world and proclaim the good news. May that begin in this hour we ask in the name of Jesus. Amen. 
So we're going to start here with um, Mar- uh, Matthew. I really wish this was working. Matthew uh, 16, verses 13 through 17. It's on page 681. And I just want to read it. It's a story we've heard before. We're going to start in Matthew because it makes sense to start in the gospel because that's where this whole thing called church first shows up. Matthew 16, 13 through 17. It says, when Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? And they replied, some say John the Baptist, and others say Elijah, and still others, Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. By the way, if you're here last week, you remember that was a question we ended on last week, is who do you say I am? That's what he asked. Who do the people say the Son of Man is? And they gave these answers to him. Verse 15, Jesus asks, but what about you? He asked, who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter answered him, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus replied, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by man, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. I will give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. And here's this interaction Jesus has with his disciples and Peter of all people. Now, if you follow Peter's story, Peter has a tendency to say all the wrong things at all the wrong times. And, but he's always trying. He's always going for it. He's always out there. And in this case, Jesus says, you're absolutely right, Peter. You're absolutely right. And so in this place, he says this. And this is the key verse. It says, and I tell you that you are Petros, right, Peter. And it means rock. And on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell, Hades, shall not prevail against it. And so as we as we open this text this morning, I want to I want to make one uh, two quick articulations. The first is this: there's a difference between church and church. (laughs) This thing's really driving me. Harry, thank you. So there's a difference between church and church, right? And I don't know if you've ever seen this done in like uh, in the way we write, the way we speak, and stuff. But there's this thing called church. And this is true in scriptures too because it's the same word ecclesia used throughout the New Testament. By the way, this church idea, it's a New Testament idea. It doesn't exist in the First Testament. It's not there. We think about synagogues and worship, that's great, and coming together and Jesus taught in the temples, that's great, but it wasn't ecclesia. It's never referred to. There's no sign of it. So this is a New Testament idea that comes after Jesus is appearing. And it's this idea, and it's used the same way for church versus church. Now, who knows what we're talking about here already? You're ahead of the game. This little C church are like these little bodies of believers. A family Bible church would be a little C church. You understand? It's just this group of folks in this area that know Jesus as their Lord and Savior. That that understand that he is ruler of their life and he's redeemer of their life. That he is everything to us. That's who we are. We're the local church, the local C church, right? The little C church. But then there's this other thing over here, and this is the big C church. You know, this is the church you get to experience if you go on a mission trip. This is the church you get to experience if you have friends in faraway lands. This is the church you get to experience if you go on vacation and you dare to flip through the phone book and find a body of believers to worship with. Now, I want to say something. When you show up there, they may not all know Jesus. So they can be part of this little C church. 
That can be part of this institutional thing we develop. This little kind of who we are, what we're about. They can be part of this stuff here. But they do not know Christ as Lord. And if they don't, they're not part of the ecclesia that the scripture refers to. Does this make sense? So you have these local bodies, and I'll say there are people here today that don't know Jesus as Savior and Lord. There are some of us here today that don't know that, but could be part of Family Bible Church. You could be journeying with Family Bible Church. You could have been here for years and years and years. But if you do not know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, if you're not part of the big story, the big picture, the big C church, you're not part of the ecclesia. Not in the same way. And this is the, this is the big one. <laughs> you can be part of all kinds of these. It won't make any difference. It won't make any difference. Whenever we um, meet Jesus, I don't think he's going to ask us how long we remember. I don't think he's going to ask us, do you come by letter of transfer or by baptism? He's going to say, I never knew you. That's in the text. That's in the Bible. And that is stuff that gives us pause as we pursue the big C church. The church of Jesus Christ, the ecclesia. So those two words are used, and they're both used in the scripture that way. Paul writes when ecclesia, but he assumes that in the ecclesias, in the local churches, they're all full of the big C churches. It's just one big thing. And that's what's always happened. There's these little churches everywhere. They have their own little sets of rules. And Paul keeps saying, no, Christ isn't divided. We are one church. And that's still the truth today. We're one church. If you meet another believer in Jesus Christ, you're his brother, you're her sister in Christ. It just works like that. So, here's the second thing we're going to talk about. And this is this thing called ecclesia, right? And ecclesia is the called out ones. Thank you, Lance, right? And it literally means out to call. It means out to, to um, hearken, to draw near, right? It, 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 it means kind of, I was thinking about it, it means kind of to push and to pull, you know? There's this kind of um, forced out. You know, whenever God calls you, to his church, it's with a big swift kick. Like that. You know? But then even after that first compulsion, there's this kind of this lingering pulling on down the journey. Ecclesia. You're being called out. And if you're not uncomfortable in your relationship with Jesus Christ, if you're not uncomfortable with, with what he's asking you to do, I'm not sure you're part of the called out ones. Because he's constantly saying, come on, come on, come on, calling us out. Right? I looked this up because I was thinking about what does called out mean. And I just want to read through a couple. One's from freedictionary.com, which is pretty sweet. And it says, to cause to assemble is to call out, to summons. To challenge to a duel, right? That's what I was thinking of when you call somebody out. You're like, I'm calling you out. Right now, let's go, Andy. I'm calling you out. You know what I mean? What are we going to do? Preach off. Let's go. <laughs> There's this idea that you call someone out. You, you, you throw them on the floor. And by the way, this is my faith experience. God called me out on my lies. And he wins every time. Praise the Lord. Every time. Praise the Lord. So you get called out. But then there's this other thing that's a summons into action. And we're talking about that today. To, to, be, to be called out into, into some new work, into some new part of your life, into some new consideration. So ecclesia equals the called out ones. The called out ones. So we're going to go through some things here about being the church, what it means to be the church. And so we're going to start here in the first, um, in this first text that we worked on already, Matthew 16, 18. I'm going to pull this up, I think, Maybe. So it's, um, it says this, the church of Jesus Christ, the church is built on the confession 
of Jesus as Lord. Now I want you to look with me in that Gospel of Matthew. What happens when Simon, son of Jonah, answers the question. He says, who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter's confession, which by the way is a gift of God. He makes it clear. Jesus makes it clear. He says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. That means you are the anointed one. You are the holy one. You're the Messiah. You're the fulfillment of the promise that eventually I will make my covenant good with Israel. And Peter sees it in this moment of revelation from God and in the eyes of his Savior and Lord and Master. And he says, you're the one. That's you. And Jesus says, you've answered correctly, and God has revealed it. And the church of Jesus Christ, the big C church of Jesus, is built on that confession and that confession alone. What do we believe? Jesus is Lord. That's what we believe. And that's the single confession that we stand on. That he is the Christ, the fulfillment of all the scriptural promises that God had made to his people for ages and ages and ages. Right? And so there's this idea that, um, that in Christ, everything is fulfilled, and we, ad- we completely adhere to that. And that might sound, it sounds so simple, but we get it so wrong, because we, we, we start the church out about being about Jesus. Matter of fact, we might come here and meet Jesus at church, but then very quickly it becomes about everything else. It becomes about all the little C church stuff, all about the, the, little, the little nuts and bolts of things, and how, how do we do this, and what are we going to do over here, and this and that. It's about Jesus. And we've got to remember that all the time. And if you go to another place to worship, I would hope you would, and you're there, and you start getting really uncomfortable, start to have a conversation about Jesus. And if they understand that Jesus is glory, that Jesus is God, well then you, you, you might just want to start learning some things. Because it, it, people have different expressions of this, but the core faith is the same. Now, I do want to guard you because there are people who say, oh, yeah, yeah, Jesus is Lord. But ask him what it means because there are people who say that and they don't mean what it means, which is that he is master ruler, courteous, the, the, the Lord Almighty, has dominion over his church. They mean he's a good guy. He was the first created one of us. You know, he was the one human that figured it out. Well, that's not Jesus is Lord. That's not Jesus is anointed. Jesus is Messiah. It's Jesus is God. That's the confession of the Christian church. So once we know that, we can worship and we can learn and we can grow together. You'll recall a few weeks ago we talked about confession and confession is nothing more than agreeing with God about what God calls something. We talked about confessing our sins. When we confess our sins, we're only agreeing with what God already knows about us. We're just saying, we agree with you. We see it like you see it. The same thing with confessing Jesus Christ as Lord. We see it as you see it. We know he has died on the cross for our sins, for my sins. We know he was raised from the dead to proclaim his, um, his deity. And so we know that Jesus is our Lord and Master. And not just now, but for eternity. For all time. Jesus will be Lord and Master for all time. It says, what, the heavens will be of his, uh, what, above his head, and the earth will be his footstool, and everything, everything will be in Christ Jesus, and we'll be there worshiping him forever. The second thing about being the church is that the church of Jesus Christ is guided by the Holy Spirit. And this happens early in the book of Acts, but the Holy Spirit comes down and and just blows the doors off the place. And if you are pursuing a life apart from the Holy Spirit of God, the gift of God to dwell in you, to direct you and guide you and lead you, you might might be struggling a lot. 
<laughs> you know? We have to always be following God's leading, and that comes through the gift of the Holy Spirit. And so the church of Jesus Christ is guided by the gift of the Holy Spirit. I'm going to turn real quick to the book of Acts, chapter 9, verse 31. And I just want to read this to you. You can turn if you want to. You don't have to. It's a really short verse. It says this, Then the church throughout Judea, Galilee, and Samaria enjoyed a great time of peace, and the church was strengthened, and it was encouraged by the Holy Spirit, and it grew in numbers, living in the fear of the Lord. And that means that the Holy Spirit is going to do some things among Jesus' church. And it's to encourage them, to kind of push them on, as I talked about earlier, to be strengthened, to push and pull and prod and guide and lead us forward into pursuing what? Holiness. Being like Christ. Being transformed into his image. And then it says here, it grew in numbers. People were drawn to it. And they were living in the fear of the Lord. Now you see, we're afraid of a lot of stuff in life. But we don't seem to have a lot of fear of God himself. So the Holy Spirit does that work in us, guides and directs us, right? And then gives us gifts. And here's a whole other thing we can't get into this morning, but I, I hope that you understand that if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, if you accept him as Lord and Savior, you have the Holy Spirit. There's no magic that comes with the Holy Spirit. You have the Holy Spirit in your life, and that has empowered you to be a blessing to his church. It's empowered you to be a blessing to his church. And you might say, well, that's really selfish, isn't it? Well, it's all about us, isn't it? Just bless us, bless us. No, it's so that we can go out and proclaim the gospel in the world. And if you've been sitting around just kind of complaining about the church, you know, oh, the church this, oh, the church that, I just want to ask you, what has God empowered you to do about it? What gifts has he had to dwell in you? You know, Paul has an amazing text that speaks about what it means to be the church. What that looks like. You know what he says? Everyone is given to him a word of encouragement, a praise, a song of praise. Some people have specific gifts in certain areas we maybe see more, but every one of us has a gift in Jesus Christ. It comes to the Holy Spirit, and our job is to use that for the strengthening and edifying of his body. It means to build it up, to build those muscles in the church. So instead of kind of saying, boy, the church is weak, boy, the church is really failing there, I want to ask you this morning, what is God calling you to do about it? Because if you're believing in him, he's calling you out. He's calling you out. And I don't think there's any excuse for it. I don't think there's any excuse found in Scripture for us not using our gifts in the way that the Lord commands it. Matter of fact, it says just the opposite. It's just, just the opposite is true. It says, don't bury your treasure. Because I'm going to come back and say, what'd you do with it? That's what the Word says. So guided and directed by the Holy Spirit, empowered and given gifts in the Holy Spirit to strengthen the church. By the way, this is incarnation phase two. Jesus Christ came in the flesh, God, fully man, fully God. But kind of the second continuing thread of this is the gift of the Holy Spirit to his people that just changes everything. It changes everything. And so that's the second thread of the incarnation. You and I, as people have said, become the Bible that the world reads. You and I become the gospel that we proclaim. Third thing, the church of Jesus Christ is made up of those who are becoming. It's kind of a weird thing to say. The church, being the church means you are becoming something else, right? In Romans 4.17, Paul records this. He says, God is the one who calls things that are not as though they were. He's the one who calls things out 
And he sees not what you are now, but he sees the finished product. And it's so easy for us to get hung up and say, oh, we're not good enough. We're not there. We're not. You know what? It's people who are becoming something else. It's who being the church is. That's what it means to be the church. It means you're being transformed by the Holy Spirit. Prodded, pulled, pushed, kicked sometimes. I've been kicked a lot, if you can't tell. Pushed forward in this journey to just be recklessly abandoning this life as we know it and following Jesus who died for our sins. That's what he's asking us to do. We are a people becoming, becoming more than we could be without him, becoming more than we could have dreamed before him. There's nothing we could have done that was of value. As a matter of fact, I was just having a conversation with someone about the idea that we all come to a place in our lives where we start to see the futility. A great book, if you want to understand the futility of life, is Ecclesiastes. Solomon writes this book and he kind of says, all is lost. What's the point? What's the point? The point is God. The point is God. And until we're willing to realize that, acknowledge that, and trust him with that, and become a people becoming who we're supposed to be, we're going to keep chasing our tails out there in the world, worrying about cars and toys and house and food and stuff, and missing the whole point. And God forbid, in the end, we get there and we're in the casket, and the biggest fight is what we're going to do with all this junk. God forbid it. I pray at that time, in that casket, people will be compelled onward towards greater things. There's something in our lives would have said, there's something else worth living for. Don't believe the lie. Follow God. Seek truth. We are a people becoming. Fourth thing, the church derives her value from the attention and affection of Jesus. Her value from the attention and affection of Jesus. I want to read this passage. You've probably heard it before. You can turn there if you want. It's going to be in Ephesians 5, chapter 5, verse 22. We're going to read it real quick, and then I just want to talk about a few things from it. It says this, Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord, because the husband is head of the wife, as Christ is head of the church, his body, of which he's the Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so should wives submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives like Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her and washing her with water through the word, and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any blemish, but holy and blameless. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated his own body, but he feeds and cares for it, just like Christ does the church, for we are members of this body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. And this is a profound mystery, but I am talking about Christ and his church. Right? And we've heard that before. And every time we read this passage, and I, I was studying for this this. This week, and, and every time we read this passage, it's all about us, isn't it? It's all about how I do, what, what you got to do. You know, okay, listen, wives. All right, listen, husbands. I mean, you heard this text preached, right? It's all about us. It's, it's, it's us. Me, 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 me. What's that mean for me? What do I got to do? I want you to hear just the words about Christ and his church. I want for a moment to try to switch this text. I want you to see it through the eyes of Jesus Christ. I want you to see what the text proclaims about his love for us. Let's put aside all the garbage and all the baggage about husbands and wives for a minute. And I want to look at this text. Listen to what it says. 
Christ is the head of his church in verse 23. This church that he's the head of is his body. And he is their savior. Right? Christ is the head. We're all about Jesus. But it's not just like some guy out there. He's some guy up there. He's like right above us. And we're all just stuff connected to him. We are nothing apart from Jesus Christ. Do you ever think about what it means sometimes to have a disease or an illness or an ailment? Where, where you can't, where there's some part of your body that won't listen to you anymore? That you know in your mind you, what you want it to do and it won't do it anymore? This is where we find ourselves as the body of Jesus Christ. He is the leader, the director, the guider. And we're just some little thing. Maybe a fingernail, right? Maybe a leg hair, you know? By the way, one of the readings this week is from the book of um, 1 Corinthians, I believe. Or the read this week. Let's see, 1 Corinthians 12. And it's all that we are the body stuff, you know? And, And Paul says this very thing. Everything is important in the body of Christ. There's no unimportant parts. Everything's going to work together in the body of Christ. Jesus is our head, and we are his body. The church is the body of Christ. He saves us. He redeems us. He's the one that makes us holy. We don't do it ourselves. We don't do it without him. And, and, and just because you know Jesus doesn't mean you go like, I got this now. We're still always connected, always listening, always being guided by him, our head, our master, our Lord. Look what it says in verse 25. It says, like Christ loved the church. How did he love the church? He gave himself up for her to make her holy, purifying her by the washing with water through the word. Right? So he's cleansed us by his love, making us holy, giving himself up for us. And he has presenting her, listen now, that's us, to himself. Now I want you to see what Jesus sees when he sees us, because we don't see it. Are you with me? I want you to see what Jesus sees when he sees us, because we see all the rankle and warts and we stink. Maybe this morning we put the chairs a little apart because, you know, we stink sometimes. I want my space. I want you to see what Jesus sees when he sees us, his church. He's going to present us as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any blemish, but holy and blameless, flawless, he sees us. He's presenting us to himself. Well, we don't deserve it. That's right. But all of our value, everything that we are, comes from him. If there's any glory, if there's any beauty in us, it's because Jesus is doing it. Preparing us to be holy and blameless, a spotless bride. Have you been to a wedding? I love weddings. You know, there's that moment where all the people have taken their places and the ladies line up on one side and the men on the other side and the pastor's there and every little thing is the hairs are in place and the things are on and everything's ready to go. And then there's this pause and everybody stands up and you wait and then the music starts and that lady comes around the corner and just takes the air out of the room that's how it's supposed to happen that's how it happens every time I see it just sucks the air out of the room the church when she enters to meet Jesus will take everyone's breath away Glorious and beautiful. And you know, you might think, well, what are you talking about? A bride of Christ, and what do you mean? Because we, we do such dirty stuff to the church. We, we just, it's like we're slinging mud on the white gown. 
We're constantly defaming the church of Jesus Christ, and it's his bride. It's his work. It's his people. Can you imagine doing that at the wedding feast? There, you're trying to get the, 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 you know, the gown dirty. You're trying to talk. Man, look at that hair. Her hair looks awful today. <laughs> who picked those? You know, who picked that outfit? You know what I mean? We're the bride of Christ. Right? Jesus, it says, he feeds and cares for the church. That's what it says about Jesus. And then it says this. It's a great mystery, Paul says. But for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife and two become one flesh. And he says, this is the craziest thing because I'm talking about Christ and his church. Now you see, once you understand the ramifications of this text for Jesus and his people, you might begin to understand what it means to be in a marriage with your wife. And I still struggle. So don't let me act like I got it figured out. But we get this wrong. We want to get the marriage right and then hopefully get the kingdom stuff right. The kingdom stuff comes first and the marriage stuff comes second. That's the way that works. This text is about Jesus Christ and his church. We get all of our value, all of our value from the church, from the Jesus Christ. And the last is this. The future of the church is secure. And the future of the church is secure. And I want to, I want to read one last thing and we're going to close with this text. But um, it's found at the very back of your Bibles. You can turn there if you want to. It's the book of Revelation, the very last of the books of the Bible. In Revelation chapter 2, verse 7, and we're going to start. And it says this. Jesus is speaking and he says, Whoever has an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit is saying to the churches. Look at the plural there. It's all the churches, the little C's. To the one who overcomes, I will give the right to eat from the tree of life, which is found in the paradise of God. Do you remember where we started this journey at? In the, in the Garden of Eden with the creation narrative. Do you remember there were two trees there that he said not to eat from? Don't eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And after we did, we got thrown out. Why? Because it was the tree of eternal life. And that's what was left. And so here in the final book of the Bible, Jesus says, whoever has an ear to hear, let him hear. To the one who overcomes what? The world. To the one who perseveres. The one who continues to be following me. The one who are always being called out, being prodded on, pressing forward, as Paul would say, right towards the goal. I will give the right to eat from the tree of eternal life which is found in the paradise of God. You know, when you get to the end of the book, there's only one tree in the garden. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil is gone. And all that's left is eternal life with him. And this complete peace and harmony and balance and the good, when God said, it's very good. It's our eternal home. We're going there next week. We're going to talk about it next week. But the second thing I want you to hear from this word this morning is chapter, is uh, verse 11 says this, chapter 2, verse 11. He who has an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit is saying to the churches. He who overcomes will not be hurt at all by the second death. You know, Jesus says to his disciples, do not fear the one who can kill you. You know, we're also afraid of death. We're all afraid of terrorists. We're all afraid somebody's going to shoot us on the street. We're all afraid somebody's going to harm our children, steal them in the middle of the night. We're also afraid of people who can kill us. You know what Jesus said to his disciples? He said, don't be afraid of the people who can kill you. Be afraid of the one who can not only take away your life, but take away your eternity. Right? It's appointed once for a man to die. But, don't be, but be afraid of the one who can throw out the soul. The second death. We will stand before God, every one of us. Every one of us will stand there. And you know, I'm not so sure, church, if we won't stand there together. 
I'm not so sure this won't be a group examination of the bride of Christ. Do you know me? Do you know Jesus Christ? So he says here, if you overcome, if you keep following, if you keep pursuing, you will have nothing, you will not be hurt at all in the second death. There is, there's just no fear in it. And you know what happens you're not afraid of the second death? You're not afraid of the first death either. If your eternity is secured, that coffin looks like a transportation to somewhere else. You know what I'm saying? I don't know how you feel about death. But if you know there's an eternal life and you have it in Jesus Christ, that thing is a waypoint on the journey. And that's okay. And that's okay. And the last one is this, verse 17, chapter 2. Jesus says, Whoever has an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who overcomes, I will give some of the hidden manna. Right? We talk about the bread of Christ. This, this hidden bread from God. I will give it to them, and I will give them also a white stone with a new name on it. Known only to the one who receives it. That's a promise. Peter becomes, the confession that Peter makes becomes the rock of the church of Jesus Christ. And in the end, if the bride stands on the rock and she waits for the salvation of the Lord, a white stone with a name written by God. So my final question to you today, church, is Are you part of the Big C Church? Do you know Jesus is Savior? Have you been being the church that God sees? Are you the beautiful bride who's preparing for the groom? Are you someone sitting there just casting aspersions? Oh, the church. Who needs it? Who wants it? Jesus does. Jesus does. If you don't know Jesus, your Lord and Savior, we invite you every week, every week to pray to receive him. It's not a magic trick. We have nothing to do with it. It's a gift of God, like with Peter, to discern the truth that God loves you, that he died for you, that he died for me, that we could have peace and unity with him. If you don't know Jesus, I would invite you to uh, pray with me as we pray. I hope that your future is secure, and I hope you're pursuing Jesus every day. And I hope more than anything else, you know how much this Jesus, the anointed one, loves each and every one of you. Let's pray together. Jesus, we're here today because it's you, uh, because of your name, because of the spirit you've given us, that you've directed us and guided us here. We give our hearts to you now. We trust you with everything, Lord. And maybe today is the first time that we've, we've thought about it. Maybe it's the first time we've thought, man, there's more to life than what I see. There's more to life than what, there must be more than this. As your Holy Spirit convicts us this morning, Lord, I pray we would give our hearts to you. May we acknowledge before you that we've failed, that we've sinned, that we've broken the promises every time we make them, that we break them to you. And that in that place of brokenness, we could receive the great healing we could know you and know the price you paid and know the debt we owe and, and, and know that we're free. We're at the top of the hill. And boy, we're ready to roll down. May you be the wind at our back this morning. I pray today, Father God, that you would forgive us our sins. 
that you would steer us, Lord, in the path that we're to follow. And that all the way forward, your church would be screaming, hallelujah, hallelujah, Jesus is Lord. He is risen indeed. And proclaiming the word, word to the world that we'd be a beautiful bride to you. Today, Father God, we trust you with our hearts and our minds. And if, and if you see fit, Lord, we invite you to come in and just dwell richly with us and direct us and guide us. We give you praise and glory for everything you've done and for everything you're doing and for everything you're going to do. We know it's all in your hands and we just say, we love you, Lord. And we pray these things in the name of Jesus, our master. Amen.